The Data Engineering Show is brought to you by Firebolt. It's the cloud data warehouse for insanely fast analytics over terabytes of data with fewer resources. Welcome everyone to another episode of the Data Engineering Show. Uh, today we're joined by uh, Bar Moses, uh, who's the co-founder and CEO of Monte Carlo. Uh, so for everyone who hasn't heard about Monte Carlo before, um, basically it's a data observability company or a data observability platform. Uh, and I'm sure Bar will go into much more detail uh, kind of a minute from now. Uh, some maybe high level facts about Bar, about Monte Carlo. Uh, so they've recently raised uh, 135 million Series D uh, in May of last year, so 22. Um, right, and exactly, uh, Bar is the co-founder. Uh, and before that, uh, kind of spent a bunch of uh, time in a bunch of different places. Uh, and I'm sure she'll tell us more about that uh, in, in just a minute. Um, perfect. And Eldad, of course, thanks for joining as well. Thanks uh, for as having always, me, as always. Uh, good to have you. Ah. <laughs> nice. Perfect, perfect introduction. Um, You're getting better uh, with each episode. Yeah, it's amazing, right? Like uh, all, all the prep work and kind of practicing in front of the mirror paying off. <laughs> Can I get compliments too on my progress throughout podcasts? Is that possible? You're amazing. <laughs> Thank well, you so our, much. <laughs> our sample size is one, uh, so I'm not sure if we can. <laughs> uh, perfect. Uh, but so, Bar, uh, do you want to basically kind of yeah give us the the high level story of what Monte Carlo does, what data observability is all about? But start with yourself. Uh, for all of start our with listeners. yourself as well. Yeah. So, so my name is Bar. Um, I started uh, Monte Carlo. Um, uh, I guess three and a half years ago. Support. Uh, Monte Carlo's mission is to help organizations actually use data by reducing what we call data downtime. And uh, we've coined the term data downtime. And in brief, data downtime is periods of time when your data is wrong, erroneous, inaccurate, um, or just unusable or untrustable for some reason. Um, and that is a reality that data teams everywhere experience. Um, and so we're fortunate to work with hundreds of customers ranging from folks like Vimeo, Drata, Gusto, um, CNN, New York Times, uh, Roche, many others, um, all of whom have data teams who want to deliver trusted data. Um, and that's really hard to do if you're not thinking about data observability. Um, so, you know, kind of taking a step back and thinking about my background, um, I was born and raised in Israel, started my career in the Israeli Air Force. Um, and throughout my career, I worked with data in different formats and was actually sort of present in you know, what I would call this acceleration of data. Like, I guess a decade ago, we said we're data-driven. No one was really using data. We maybe collected a little bit of data and thought, you know, we were cool and like moved on with our lives. And then maybe I want to say like three to five years ago, people realized that you can actually make decisions based on data. And in fact, your decisions might be better if you use data. I think that was a big change for companies. I think we're still in the period of time when we're trying to figure out how to do that. We haven't figured out how to do that quite yet. Um, one of the most interesting trends, I think that's the backdrop to that, is um, what people call today data products. Um, and by that, I basically mean people using data, whether it's for internal reports, for data teams to make, for, for teams to make decisions based on data, or actually customers who are using data. Um, maybe that can be, you know, um, a dashboard that, um, uh, you know, your customers use or your website. Um, there's lots of examples for how customers actually use data. And once um, we start putting that data out there, it better be accurate. Um, my personal story, you know, I was um, prior to Monte Carlo, I was at a company called Gainsight. 
Um, fortunate to be part of a category creation story at Gainsight. Um, and at Gainsight, you know, we helped organizations basically reduce churn, increase renewal rates and upsells, um, basically increase customer happiness based on data. Um, and I was responsible for the team that was using data, uh, both to make decisions internally, but also to surface with our customers. And the problem was the data was wrong all the time, like literally just all the time. Um, and, um, you know, fast forward to, to today, there's some examples of where kind of, you know, data being wrong is really painful. You know, one of the most examples from that time, 2016, was that Netflix was down for 45 minutes because of duplicate data. Um, Netflix down for 45 minutes is really I remember that moment. <laughs> Do you remember, where were you in that moment? <laughs> but guess what? The data, they, were they were down because of duplicate data. How crazy is that? And so in this world where actually data being down is the main culprit or even worse than applications being down. Um, and in that world, you need to make sure that your data is accurate. Otherwise your applications and infrastructure are gonna be down. And that is a big change that has happened over my career in the last decade or so. And I remember this was in 2016, you know, I was responsible for a data team that was delivering data. And as I mentioned, like the data was wrong all the time. And I tried to fix it. And I was like, this is so freaking hard. Like I remember going into like a room with a whiteboard and trying to like draw things. And, you know, I'm not an engineer and I'm like, oh, this is like so terrible. Um, wh why is this so freaking hard? And I remember asking our customers too. And they were like, yeah, there's just no way to do this. We just have like, you know, six eyes on every port, every pair of reports on every, on every report. And I was like, really? We need like three or four different people to vet every single report. Like that's, that's where we're at. mindset. <laughs> exactly. Like, are you like, what? Like, is that normal? I, you know, at some point you don't know if you're crazy or the world is crazy or both or like what's actually happening. And, you know, basically that, that actually inspired, you know, me and my team to try to, to build something. Um, me and, and uh, the person on my team, his name is Will Robbins. He's actually at Monte Carlo today, um, uh, leading work on product and customer success. So it's pretty cool to continue that path. And, um, you know, the bottom line is we hacked something together, um, you know, which was pretty crap, to be honest. Um, but it worked well enough and improved the, like, nothing that we had today. And then we, you know, implemented with some of our customers and it worked well for them, too. And I was like, hey, why don't we get someone who's, like, actually an engineer to build this and let's see what happens? Like, can we build something? And then when we look at our software engineering counterparts, like, yeah, they have solutions, like, you know, New Relic and AppDynamics back in the day and then Datadog now. And you're like, yeah, you have to be you know, really irrational to build an engineering team without some observability platform or some observability measure. Why are data teams releasing data out in the wild without um, something like observability or ways to make sure the data is accurate? And so that basically kind of inspired, you know, starting Monte Carlo, um, spoke with hundreds of, of data teams asking them like, hey, what's keeping you up at night? Um, and and kept kept coming back to this you know, to this problem that folks had, like literally people sweating on Monday morning because they're going to be, you know, sharing a report and they're not sure if the data is right. Like, I don't know if you have that, but like you start getting like, you know, you, you can hear your heart and your heart beating and you're like, oh man, like, is this, this going to be right? I don't know. Um, who's going to call we, out? We the talked to the same people. They couldn't sleep at night. We took the data warehouse part. Okay. You, took the, you know, you're saying so many things and I, 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 I resonate so well. Uh, you like data was serving consensus and consent and BI, and it was all about having multiple versions of the truth, and we couldn't get out of it. Uh, and and if you look at companies over the last four or five years, 
they actually started to sell their data, utilize their data, build products on top of their data. And we're moving from having three people looking at a dashboard in the best case to having tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands of people. And you can't apply the same mindset anymore. So, and, and also kind of you compared the Monte Carlo to Datadog and others. I don't think so. I think whenever I hear Monte Carlo, first, it's on a whole different ballgame. So it's kind of less SRE observability, more really it's all about data observability, uh, data quality. Now, data quality needs to come first before it gets out to the customer. Observability goes after. So kind of it's a, it serves different need. And, and, and this is why I love Monte Carlo, because to me, this is the first company that looks at data and looks how users use data and, and rethinks observability from scratch. And it's also nice that you brought Real Engineer eventually uh, to build something serious out of it, and which is amazing. And we hear you all the time. So yeah, so, so tell us, uh, so you quit the second the white, you realize that nobody understands you uh, uh, when you drew that on the whiteboard, including the customers. How, how did that feel? <laughs> I'm not sure it was that dramatic. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I had, you know, I think the the experience of working with customers and the data being wrong all the time was was terrible, like really bad. And I think that was for me personally, like I would get, you know, emails from people like WTF, right? Like, what the fuck? Why is the data wrong? And, you know, as a data professional, you're like, I had one job, which is get the data right. Like one job, right? And when you like get, can't get that right, I think that's very frustrating. Um, and when, you know, I think when talking to other people and they're like, yeah, that's kind of like what happens. We sort of like came to accept that as as sort of normal. Like, yeah, the data is wrong and that's okay. And I, I remember like living in that period and I was like, there's just no way that I can accept that. And I don't think that makes sense. Like we have to get over that. Like the days where it's fine that the data is wrong, it's just not cool anymore. Like you can't, you know, because data is used, like, for example, in reporting numbers to the street, right? So companies that almost reported wrong numbers to the street, that happens, right? Um, or companies that actually, like, lose millions of dollars because the data is wrong. Or I'll give an example, like, you know, the most notable examples from the last few months, Unity is a gaming company um, that basically, like, made one mistake with their ad data, and that one mistake cost them $100 million. Like, one mistake. That's like a big freaking deal. It's not like one mistake over a long period of time, like multiple issues. Or it's like one issue, $100 million. That's crazy. And that was made public. Think about all the issues that are not made public, right? They're way worse. And then to give you an example that's more kind of like on the social side. So um, Equifax, for folks who are not familiar, is a credit score company. Um, so basically assigns credit scores to users and allows, the, allows those users to take loans, to take mortgages, basically to like live their lives, right? Um, and it was made public that Equifax actually issued millions of wrong credit card scores, uh, sorry, not credit card, credit scores to users, um, based on wrong data. That means millions of users that have like the wrong credit scores today and literally inflation, can't like, inflation. yeah, and they can blame inflation exactly or whatever it is. Right. But how you think about the impact of bad data has on a personal life, like even one person that's impacted in that way is terrible. Think about millions of people who have that is, is horrible. And so I think there's like these trends, right? One is like, we're using data more and more to your point. There's, it's not just three people in some team 
looking at data once a year or maybe once a quarter. It's actually like millions of people using the data and actually like the stakes are way higher. They're not just looking at the dashboard. They're actually like making decisions based on it or they're, you know, trying to get a mortgage based on it. Um, and in all those instances, the data being wrong is just way, way worse. So I think there's just this point that we've like crossed in the last few years. I mean, just, we can't look back. You know, we can't unsee what we've seen with data now. <laughs> it's just not the same. We went all in on data and it's too late to go back, at least for the next 20 years. But tell me, so kind of from product perspective, data is moving around so much and, and kind of there's so many hands being involved, apps, scripts, processes, steps. And in each step, data gets changed, gets expanded and, and enriched. And where do you fit in? Is like, and, and if I'm a data warehouse or an engineer, can I use you as a data source to make sure that my data is kind of flowing? Like no matter where it's coming from, I want to use you as my formal data source. Does that connect to my JDBC driver? Like, how does it work from a product integration perspective. Yeah, for sure. So a few things. I would say, first of all, you know, just to use this as an as a, um, opportunity to explain the difference between data quality and data observability. Like I think a few years ago, when data teams were thinking about data quality, they were really like pulling a report from SAP or I don't know, something where it's like they had all the data in one place. You know, you just had to like dump the data once and then you would like use it once a quarter or something like that. And in those instances, like making sure that, you know, I think the concept of like garbage in, garbage out was really popularized at the time. And that made it like really important to make sure like that I sort of, I think, I think that was the rise of data quality, right? And during that time, it was very important for data teams or for, for uh, analysts to make sure that the data is accurate, single point of time, and like, that's it. Um, but the world in which, in which we're today, which is a pretty cool world, by the way, like in terms of like how we use data, is one in which there's like so many people using data. So there's like engineering teams upstream influencing, you know, schema changes, making um, uh, adaptations or changes to code that have downstream implications. There's data engineers, there are data, data scientists, analytics engineers, machine learning engineers, like the list is long, right? And each of these people actually wants to use data and each of them needs to be able to use data. And so lots of things that are kind of a common trend or common thing that customers ask us is how do I democratize data health for data quality? Like how do I make sure that the ability to know the data is accurate is not just for one person on the data team, but for everyone who's working with data. And I think that has to do with your question around where does data live, right? Um, and the thing is, because there's so many people working with data, data also lives in different places. And so in order to make sure that your data is actually accurate and trusted, it's no longer sufficient that you're just looking at data in one place. You actually need to make sure that the data is accurate wherever it is. That may be your data lake, your data warehouse. You want to use some of your um, ETL or orchestration uh, solutions to help make sure that the changes that you're making there are not influencing data quality as well as your BI, right? So at any given point of time, you have to be aware of the changes made to data and making sure that data is trusted and kind of remains equal. You know, I'll, I'll tell you a little bit about kind of like the, the history and evolution from my perspective. You know, before starting Monte Carlo, you know, when I personally experienced this, noticed that all of my customers experienced this, decided to leave Monte Carlo and actually decided to start a company. And I started, I actually, fun fact, started three companies in parallel. So like worked on two different ideas that are totally different uh, to kind of see what, you know, what kind of pull looks like. And so in those early days, I actually like, in order to test this idea of data being wrong, 
you know, actually reached out to lots of people and asked them, like, does this ever happen to you? And it was really hard to, like, explain what does this happen. And I was looking recently at, like, some of the wording that I used. And basically, it was, like, reports breaking or dashboards wrong. And that reality is has not changed. Like, those words still, you know, um, hit a chord with data teams. You still get dashboards breaking. You still have reports going wrong. The thing is, it's not just because of one source. It's because we now have data coming from your data warehouse, from your data lake, get, going through so many different transformations. It's actually hard to trace why the report broke or why the dashboard is wrong. But that core problem actually hasn't changed. And I think we can trace that back to like years ago when people are starting to use data and starting to ask themselves, can I actually trust this data? Can you give some concrete examples, right? Like say I integrate with Monte Carlo today, like what are the actual types of insights kind of you can provide as a product? Yeah, totally. I'm trying not to pitch Monte Carlo here. Um, but basically I'll give, uh, I'll give, I'll give a specific example. We're getting great existing and future product features from Monte Carlo. So if there are startups out there trying to compete with Monte Carlo, now would be a time to listen carefully. <laughs> <laughs> Great soundbite. Um, not going to happen. Just kidding. So here's how to think about what data observability actually means. And I think we touched on a couple of those things, a couple of those already in very technical sense. One is it has to have coverage end to end. By that, we mean wherever your data is, it has to cover it. Now, for some data teams, that might mean Firebolt or you know other competitors not to be named, but like others like AWS, Snowflake, Databricks, right? Like different types of places to store your data, aggregate, analyze it as well as your orchestrator. So you might have DBT as well. Just use that as an example. And let's choose a BI. Let's say you have Looker, right? So, you know, for many modern data teams, it'd be like a modern data stack. Actually having a solution that can cover all of those, like all of those three categories is very important. Um, data warehouse, data lake, ETL orchestration, and BI. Um, again, because data is each of those things. And so actually having integrations that work, which each of these is very important for your observability platform, whether that be money crawler or not. I think the second thing that's important is like, what does it actually do? Or how easy is it to get started with? Oftentimes in data quality solutions in the past, everything was manual. So you had to like manually specify the thresholds that you want for your rules. And you had to manually specify what lineage looks like. That doesn't cut it anymore, not even close. Solutions need to be automated. And so within 24 hours, you need to have a view of your lineage, both upstream and downstream, both table and field level. And you need to have a baseline for what healthy tables look like. So for example, if you have particular distribution of a field, let's say there's like some specific um, null rate, it is possible to learn automatically what is the acceptable null rate and, and let users know if that's being violated. Um, uh, without actually any end user specifying that as an example. So having this kind of aspect of like within 24 to 48 hours, getting, getting started with those sort of machine learning out of the box elements is super important. Um, then the third thing that I would say is uh, what we call uh, the five pillars of data observability. Um, those are freshness, volume, schema, data quality, and lineage. I touched on each of them, but just to kind of explain the history and why they've come together. I mentioned we spoke to like hundreds of data leaders um, before we even started the company. You know, I would say to by now we've spoken to like thousands of them. We've worked with like thousands of, of data engineering users and hundreds of data teams and actually asked them like, what are the main reasons for why data goes wrong? And um, what does it look like when you're trying to troubleshoot it and resolve it? And the reality is there's actually a lot more commonality than people think. 
think one of the main objections that folks have for observability is that they think that, you know, everyone's a snowflake and your data is different. And yeah, that's true. You are a snowflake. You're very special and your data is different, but you are actually, there is some patterns along with other folks and um, how they use the data. And so there is actually a certain level of a certain amount of, of help that automation can um, uh, introduce. And so by codifying these five pillars, we, we're able to actually capture what the best data teams look for when automating observability. So the first around freshness, pretty straightforward, but basically is your data up to date? Uh, it's the easiest, to summarize, easiest way to summarize that. The second is volume, which is basically like is the volume of the data that you have in line with historical reason, historical patterns or um, what you'd expect it to be. So literally in terms of like the size of the file or number of rows. The third is schema changes. Schema changes is a big deal for folks who know. It's also kind of tied to a, a different um, uh, trend called data contracts. We might touch on that later. Um, schema changes cause problems. It's like the, the bane of existence for many data teams. And so actually tracking schema changes in an automatic way is a huge help. Fun fact, it's one of the very first thing that we did in the product because it was so impactful on data teams to know what are some of the schema changes that folks have. The fourth is data quality, which is basically you can think kind of from the worlds of uh, profiling and actually making sure that um, the data itself at the field level is accurate. So, you know, values that you expect, I talked about null rates, um, unique IDs, et cetera. And then the fifth, which is lineage, kind of brings it all together. Uh, talked a little bit about lineage, but power of lineage is that, you know, when data goes wrong, the first thing that people ask themselves is like, where and who cares about this? Like if there's some, you know, we talked about everybody like hoarding data and using a lot of data. If you're dumping data that nobody cares about, no one's using Maybe like only Eldad is looking at it at 6 a.m., but like that's it. No one, no one other than Eldad. So maybe like it doesn't matter. Maybe it doesn't have to be accurate, right? Um, but if Ben is looking at the data or if Bart's looking at the data, um, <laughs> then you really want to make sure the data is accurate. Uh, or maybe your customers are actually using it. And so being able to answer that question, like, hey, is there anyone downstream who is using this data? Who should care about that? And if so, this should be a high priority. And maybe you can start thinking about actually announcing severity. Um, automatic severity to your data incidents and saying, hey, like there's specific conditions under which this data needs to be, there's like a higher standard for it to be accurate and trusted. And so uh, bringing it all together, I think that's sort of what makes a strong data observability platform. Um, and we see amazing, like, you know, amazing data st stories of customers, like I'll, I'll just use JetBlue for an example, for, for folks who've been flying a lot recently for the holidays and you know, with the snowstorm and everything, you know, there, there's a lot going on. And, you know, for, for a company like JetBlue, they manage tons of data, right? Um, so they use data both to, 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 you know, drive their operations, whether it's like, you know, flight time or like, where's your luggage and what's your connecting flight, um, but also to manage their support, right? Um, and so the data team at JetBlue is actually like a great story of a team that's like very, very thoughtful about making sure that data is accurate. So your flight is on time. Um, so you get your luggage, et cetera. And so working with the data team has been, with the JetBlue data team has been really cool. They, for example, manage like a hundred percent status rate incident every single week, where literally every single week they go through each and every incident um, uh, in Monte Carlo in particular, and then you know, triage that to make sure that the data quality issue um, is, is resolved. Um, and they're actually able to reduce significantly the number of data, data downtime incidents as a result. Awesome. So like, especially looking at data lineage, right? How does, especially in big companies, 
adoption of a data observability tool actually look, right? Is it like, okay, you need buy-in from everyone and then you need to kind of integrate it across your entire stack because that's how you get the most value? Or is it like, okay, kind of here's a single data team in your big company and you can integrate it with your kind of local part and already get value? Yeah, you know, every big journey starts with uh, small steps towards that big journey. So uh, for sure, you know, I'm definitely in the camp of like start small and, and grow from there. Mostly because in any organization, you want to show value and and you know have like a win story really quickly. Um, I think that that's true for anyone, not just observability. But I think in data in particular, if you put yourself in the shoes of of the data teams in large organizations, they're in a tricky spot, and I'll explain why. They invested a ton in the last few years in the best data infrastructure, literally like world class data warehouse. Um, you know, data lake, world-class infrastructure. And also they invested a ton in hiring lots of people to use that data, right? Like we've seen the rise of data scientists. Um, all of those roles have been, have been you know, growing a ton in the last few years. And here's a tricky spot. Now you actually need to deliver. You actually need to show that you can use the data. Um, and that's a new reality, which I don't think many organizations have proved. Um, and so you're on the hook to see the ROI of all that investment. And oftentimes the ROI doesn't exist because people don't actually trust the data or can't use it. And so I would say, in order to avoid being in that situation, starting to think early as you're rolling out your data infrastructure, how do I actually make sure that people also trust the data is really important. And for larger organizations, yes, I do think that starts with identifying a particular use case or a particular team. Like, for example, it could be a team that's supporting financial data in particular. That's very important. If you're reporting on you know, revenue growth um, or customer growth, you want to make sure that there's no questions about that data. Maybe starting with that. Sometimes there's a marketing team that you might want to start with. Particularly if they have, um, you know, if they have hundreds of millions or tens of millions of dollars in budget. Um, you want to make sure that that money is deployed, that resources are deployed. Another, you know, kind of examples of companies in healthcare, for example, potentially you have production data and you want to make sure that that clinical data is accurate. Um, in all of those instances, starting small, making sure that folks have the technology, but also have the mindset, right? Think about it. It's, it's you know, going back to Eldad's point from before, maybe the difference is that, you know, an organization like Datadog, the concept of observability engineering is something that, you know, lots of folks have done before, but for data teams, it's a new motion. And so understanding who's responsible for what and what you actually do is a totally new ballgame for most people. So actually, most of the work that we do is helping organizations think through what does a great data observability practice looks like? And oftentimes that has nothing to do with the technology. It's more around, you know, the practices and, um, you know, the, the types of, of um, culture that we have in the data team. Definitely. Like, take us through the action part, right? So I'm a data engineer now. I get kind of my alert in my Slack channel. I don't know how it works saying, like, kind of this upstream data pipeline is, is looking weird right now. Kind of, like, what actually happens, right? Is it about kind of spotting failure early to make sure you can kind of keep the surface area kind of small? Like, what's usually, like, the immediate action you, you take when you see these types of alerts? Yeah, great question. So, yes, oftentimes... Um, Teams actually love getting, you know, that information um, to them directly. And so that might be, um, you know, in Slack or Teams or even via email, if you'd like. Uh, large majority, I think, use Slack today. Um, you get an alert in, in Slack and that could be something like, hey, you know, this table 
um, that gets updated typically every hour stopped updating for the last day and hasn't gotten an update for the last, let's say, seven hours. And so there's a couple of things that you can do. First of all is, is you know, if an automatically assigned severity, maybe you see that it's a high severity, might be a situation where you drop everything and take a look at it immediately. And maybe, you know, on the contrary, maybe this is a data set that you know is not being used, not looked at, then maybe you can ignore it for now. Maybe you can snooze it, actually. And snooze it until tomorrow because today you're working on a production issue and you need to come back to it later. Um, so assuming you didn't snooze it, you determine that this is actually high severity based on kind of the assigned um, uh, severity and, and the impact of assets that it looks at. What you can take a look at is look at um, impact radius and start seeing, you know, who are the folks who are impacted by this type of issue? So are there any, you know, maybe it's, for this particular table, there's like three reports in your BI that are actually using this. And the particular team that using that is a marketing team. Maybe what you could do is you could actually like tag the person on that team and say like, hey, you know, there's an issue here. FYI, I'm investigating. And then what you could start doing is actually like click into, you know, that alert and start investigating and say, okay, what, what else is happening around that time? What else is happening to that table that might give, might give me clues as to why this issue is happening? And then maybe you can see, okay, well, the job is running, but, you know, actually like no data is arriving. So maybe there's a problem, you know, with the, with the low that's like feeding data, right? Just as an example. Um, or maybe someone upstream you actually noticed made a schema change. And that schema change made it such that the implications are that now data is not arriving anymore. Maybe they changed like the field type and that kind of like messed up um, the scheduling of the data into that particular table. And then, you know, on the other hand, maybe when you look at like the downstream implications, you recognize that you need to like reload all the data to fix that and to make the report accurate now. So there's actually like a lot of work that might be um, involved in both understanding why this issue has happened and also making sure that the data is sort of back to normal or back to its schedule. And so, you know, it's a combination of looking at both the data itself, um, looking at metadata, and oftentimes looking at the code actually that's like driving all of this to make sure that the data pipeline itself is healthy. So you know you might be sort of um, uh, moving between those those different systems and where you're at. And, and Monte Carlo in particular, we try to bring all of those different feeds into one place. So you actually like get both your alerts from Monte Carlo as well as your alerts from DBT in one place, for example. So if you're using DBT in this example, you might actually be not notified about that same issue in the same place. Um, and so uh, bringing all of that together, you know, maybe you realized, you know, within, um, you know, upon investigation, you realize you understand the, the root cause of the problem, you understand how to resolve it. And now the problem is that you're not actually responsible for the table itself, so you can't actually fix it. So you need to find who is the person who owns this. You can see that information as well, and then like ping them and work with that person to, to fix the issue. Um, so at a high level, there's like three different things that we're trying to help users do. One is detect, the, like know about the problems almost in real time. Like just to give you, you know, uh, insight into this, most teams actually are not even aware of these issues. And so getting that alert in Slack is, is a big deal. The second thing that, that we help with is actually resolving these faster. So oftentimes data teams won't know all this information about like schema changes or freshness or volume, like all the examples that I mentioned. And it would be harder for them to, what exactly is happening and why. And then the third thing is by actually like increasing the communication and collaboration on this, you're making it easier for everyone who's touching data to know about data downtime issues 
and eventually actually preventing these from happening. So would you, would you say that in a few years from now, we will use less classic uh, SRE black box mindset observability plus JIRA and more uh, kind of new age, context-driven, lineage-driven observability, which listening to you, like it's so different. It's so, so different from looking at CPU or disk utilization while someone altered the table, but that table affects a hundred looker dashboard. And that's not important. What's important is one of those dashboards serves a customer. And there's no way to know that without spending three weeks involving six people at least using tons of uh, tech and companies try to do it on their own. They try to stitch it, they try to build it and, and it's really sad. But listening to you makes me happy because it is a real thing and, and, and as uh, uh, engineering organizations are trying to become data organizations, I think they have a lot to learn from that, from data engineering mindset where, where it's taking very seriously. So when someone is modifying something, to those teams, that's like code, like that's like a product release and having an observer, data observability that, schema, that has the schema, that has the data warehouse, it's aware, it knows what an information schema is. It's not like just raw, JSON uh, pushed into some, some, some time series database, which is meaningless to most people. I love it. It's, it's uh, fascinating. Yeah, I think that's spot on. I think as a data industry, if we're successful, it's because we adopted what we need from engineering practices and built that into data engineering. Um, it's going to be impossible for us to actually really, truly become data-driven if we don't do that. So yes, and I think you know our approach is that starting with observability is the right place because it's the most imminent problem for engineers. If you look at data engineering today, the most imminent problem that they have is, hey, the data is wrong all the time. That's the number one thing that they have as an issue. And as a result, data consumers can trust the data and can't use the data. I think there's a lot more that we can learn from engineering and that we should over time bring in a lot of those concepts into data. But starting with observability is what we think is sort of the the most, the thing that will most bring the most value to customers today. And I'm curious to hear more about how you all think about it in Firebolt, but so feel free to let me know if y'all are up for it. <laughs> so we kind of, it's, it's, we feel the, the pain and need to make sure that data quality is right. We've seen some really uh, scary stories. You've mentioned some of them, but data is so actionable today. Customers that use data-driven products, their business run on those products. So if I'm using, a, if I'm a, 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 a subscribing to a sales optimization product and that sales optimization product is giving me a recommendation on how to do my ad spending and I'm going and just doing this ad spend based on that recommendation and it's wrong, that affects my business and, and it, it's real. So it's, it's much more serious than... Yeah, just looking at two different types of sales numbers, one coming from Salesforce and one from Excel, which is also important, right? We've been dealing with that for 20 years. But the beauty is that data is, is really driving the business now versus just being used to understand the business. So having data quality should be kind of trivial in core stack of any data-driven team. Uh, and uh, listening to you and looking at kind of what you're doing there, we really want and wish Monte Carlo to succeed big time. And having said that, kind of uh, maybe we can uh, wrap it wrap with that. If you can share some insights, some uh, recommendations, some some something with our 
fellow startups, with our fellow users, how do you see this year coming? Uh, what you, would you recommend for startups going forward? Anything valuable would be highly appreciated. I can share only non-valuable advice. Um, <laughs> actually, on that note, I will say, you know, for, for startups or listeners, I will start by saying that you should not listen to advice. That's like my, 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 biggest, uh, my biggest takeaway. I think for any question that you have, both in data, in startups and otherwise, you will always get like 50% of people will tell you something and 50% of people will tell you the other one, um, the opposite. And so really, I think the answer actually lies in the data. There's no one else but you to take a look at the data and listen to your customers and see what it tells you and actually draw conclusions based on that. And so folks who are asking themselves like, what does this mean for me and for, for my team and for the industry? Yeah, like you have the data, you are closest to the customer, pick up the phone, talk to the customer ask them what they think. That is the data that will help you get to the answer, whatever that may be. You know, with, with that in mind, looking ahead to, to this year, I think this is, this is the year that's sort of a natural progression of the importance of data teams. You know, I think this, obviously, like it's no secret, you know, that the market has changed, um, you know, difficult times for lots of folks across the economy. And yet I continue to see data teams growing stronger and stronger in organizations. And that means companies doubling down on their data strategy, building more and more data products and um, investing in data teams because recognizing that data is a foundation to making strong business decisions, gaining competitive advantages, and generally furthering business outcomes for their customers. And so I think when we, you know, when we, when we zoom out and think about like where are data teams today, I think they're on the hook to deliver ROI from all of their investments in the last few years. And this is the time when folks are going to be more scrutinized. Yes, I do think that folks will be asking themselves, like, is there actually ROI on this? And it's a great time for data teams to be able to articulate that and say, yes, we have awesome data. We have best-in-class infrastructure. And we can also trust the data so we can actually use it, to your point, to drive the business. And I think that's an inflection point that I'm really excited for data teams to bring. I hope 2023 will be the year that we see that. I don't think that we can see it soon enough, but I do think it's an inflection point that the data industry needs to drive. And I think there's no better time than this year to do this because data teams are more important than ever. Data is more important than ever. And the time, the onus on us to prove that is today. And so I'm excited for us to see us. I'm excited to see us do that. Awesome. That, that were amazing closing remarks. Uh, Bar, thank you so much for your time. Uh, we really appreciate it. Uh, have a great rest of the day uh, and see you next time on the Data Engineering Show. Thanks Thank so much for everyone. Me. Great Looking podcast. forward. If you like the show, rate it or leave a review to help us spread the word. The Data Engineering Show is brought to you by Farabalt. It's the cloud data warehouse for insanely fast analytics over terabytes of data with fewer resources.